Good morning. All right. That can be better. Good morning. Excellent. Um, I think months back when Dan asked me the question, um, will you be interested in being part of the next preaching series, I enthusiastically um, said, yes, I will. And then he asked, is there any Sundays you can't do? And unfortunately, my other answer was, yes, there's no Sunday I cannot do. Um, which meant that I was available for anything. Um, I've since um, recognized the error and the mistake in that. <laughs> because I think Dan must have had a puzzle and said, well, we're going to do this. Oh, right, Jonah said it's free all the time, so yeah, do this. Um, I think the message of today is often a message which can be considered difficult. Um, but the reality is that this is in the Bible. Amen. What we're going to share today is something in the Bible. Let me just give context um, for those of you who have not been part of the series. In the last few weeks, we have been looking at the Sermon on the Mount. And last week, um, Ian talked about um, anger. And he talked about how God wants us to recognize that Anger in our hearts can often be a slippery slope to something um, more dangerous. And God was looking for purity in our hearts. Two weeks ago, Joe Birch talked about um, the law. And he also talked about how Jesus has not come to destroy the law, but actually to fulfill it. And I remember the message of Joe very vividly because it, it impacted me in a positive way. When Joe talked about the fact that sometimes we feel like we want to reach onto something. But the reality is, as Christians, Jesus, when he died on the cross, paid the price. And what that means for us is that our foundation is righteousness. There's nothing we can do to be more righteous because Jesus paid the price. Amen. Now, today, Matthew chapter 5, verse 27 to 30, where Jesus talks about lust and sexual purity. Now, you may have been um, in this church for a while. You will know that this is not necessarily a popular topic. It's not something we do every time. Or you might be new to um, Mosaic, or you might even be coming for the first time today. Um, this may feel like a surprise of a topic in church to preach. Why are we talking about sex, sexual purity? Well, we are because it's something Jesus talked about. Amen? And if Jesus talks about something, I want to listen, regardless how I feel about that topic. And something it proves to us also is the fact that Jesus was talking about something which we know in society that we deal with. You only just need to listen to the news consecutively for one week and you realize the pain and the misery that this stuff causes in the world. And we want to talk about it today as Christians in the context of what the Bible says. You see, God wants us as a people to grow in purity. Amen. Now, 
As I look at my own life and my walk with God, I can remember moments when I have allowed lust and sexual sin in my life. So I do not stand here as an expert in sexual purity. And I actually believe that this topic, regardless of whether you're single, you're married, um, you are very young, you are like me, not so young, um, this is a topic that requires God's grace and truth to deal with. And that's what we're going to do today. We're going to speak the word of God and we're going to deal with this with the truth that comes from God's word. If we look around, we see the harm that sexual sin causes, the chaos and the crisis it can cause in people's lives. This topic requires our humility and our total surrender to God. Above everything, I am praying that you will not just hear my words and the what I'm saying, I am praying that the power of God will be present here. Because without God's power, we cannot live free of sexual sin. Amen. And I'm praying that we will experience that as God's people. Okay? Can we dive into it now? Are we all keen? Brilliant. I love the smiles. Matthew chapter 5, verse 27 to 30. You should see it on the screen. I'll read you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gorge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. So I'm going to be talking specifically on this scripture in three sections. One, I'm going to be talking about the integrity of sex. And all I'm trying to say is what context does God want sex to play a part in? Then we're going to be talking about the perversion of lust and how lust can um, take us away from God's purpose and what God wants us to be. And then we're going to be talking about biblical. Notice I've not used the word practical. We're going to be talking about a biblical way to deal with lust. Okay? So the first line there says, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. Now, God is not against sex. And there's nothing in the Bible that signifies that sex is a negative thing. In fact, there are parts of the Bible that blatantly celebrate sexual love and read like a romantic poem. Sex is God's gift to two people within the context of a covenant relationship of marriage. It is a beautiful expression of love and the giving of sexual pleasure to your spouse. In actual fact, the Bible verse that we read today is actually seeking to protect sex, to make sex something that should not be used anyway. Jesus reminds us in the seventh commandment 
thou shalt not commit adultery. That simply means, if you're wondering about what the word adultery means, it simply means no sex with someone who is who you are not married to. Amen? Okay. God wants sex to be available only within the context of marriage. First Corinthians chapter seven, verse two to five. We're not going to be reading that. Um, places emphasis on the on this issue, and it encourages married couples to recognize their individual responsibility for the sexual fulfillment of their spouses. In the Garden of Eden, you remember that conversation. As God said, you're not going to eat these wonderful trees. The answer, I'm glad to say, is no. But God said we would not eat of one particular tree in the middle of the garden. As God said, you will not have sex. No, he has not. But he has said we will not have sex with people who are not, we are not married to. Amen? And that's God's word because God wants sex to be something that happens in a loving relationship. And we can see the dangers when sex is uncontrolled. This idea that if I can just have sex, I will be complete and whole sometimes leads people, leads to perversion and leads to sex being an idol which actually causes more danger than good in our society. Now, let me just say, marriage is not a contract. There's a big difference between a contract. A contract says, if you do what I want, then I will do my bit. Okay? Um, we have mobile phone contracts. That's a really popular one. If I pay, keep paying my mobile phone bill, I will get the service that O2 has been giving me for many years. I don't know why I'm stuck to them. Um, but if I stop paying, what do you think is going to happen? They cut off my service. They stop giving me the service. Similarly, if O2 was not to fulfill their part of the contract, I could go and say, well, you're not doing your bit, you know, so I'm off to any other service provider. The challenge of our world is that sometimes... We deal with marriage as if it was a contract. And unfortunately, it's not. It's a covenant. And what that means is, I'll stand. So the day I told my darling wife, Sister Ugo, uh, people, people, I call Ugo Sister Ugo. Just, it's, there's nothing complex about it. <laughs> the day I told Ugo, my wife, I will be married to you, I was saying to her that I will be committed all the journey. I will be with you regardless of what you do. Amen. Now, just before I move on from this, I was reading, you know, and I tend to read stuff just to find out. And I was reading, um, what is the most thing that people said led to divorce? Um, who, who, can, who has any idea? The one thing that most people... Yes. Uh, incompatible... Irreconcilable differences. We, we hear that a lot. I don't know what that means. Um, that's not the answer. This was the most popular thing people said. Yes? Not communicating. Not communicating. Yeah, possibly. Adultery. Adultery. Thank you very much. That, that's what most people will think it is, but sadly, it's not. Finance, okay? What? Finance. No, it's not. It's not. Now, 
it might be all of these things, but the 75% of people who got a divorce said it was due to lack of commitment. And that shocked me because I was thinking it would be some of the stuff we're saying. But 75% of people said the main thing is lack of commitment. So I think that's something which we can take because marriage scripturally is meant for a lifetime and we should recognize that God wants it to be for better, for worse, for richer, for, for poorer, in sickness and in health. What he's saying is it does not matter what changes about our circumstances, we will stay committed to our married partners. Amen. And I pray that God will help us. And maybe this week might be a good week to start to renew that commitment. Amen? Second thing is the perversion of loss. Verse 28 says, But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, Jesus is not forbidding men from looking at women. Hallelujah. And I'm grateful to God for that because I am one of the people who saw my wife and I thought, whoa, you know, like there's no going back. Genuinely. And, and so I'm thankful for the fact that that's not what Jesus is saying there. It's not saying don't use your eyes. Amen. Amen. Also, I knew she was a Christian before I met her. Maybe uh, that would make it better. Um, <laughs> let me point out, okay, that it also, take note, it also is talking about looking at a woman. And let's deal with the elephant in the room. The reality is that lust can often, and I'm not generalizing, can often be something to do with men. I'm sorry, brothers, you know. But that's the reality. And, and so, as brothers, we need to be conscious of this area and take it seriously. And that's not to say that this is not an issue also for women. Okay? We can admire beauty in God's creation wherever we see it, even including in humans. And recognizing and complimenting people can actually be a way we can honor them. Amen? My, my friend Steve, I think not just once, a couple of times, he said to me, you know, about my dress sense. You know, Steve <laughs> says, Jonah, you're looking amazing, you know. Um, just for two seconds, because after that, he says, who are you trying to impress? You know, I, I, I'm pleased that he was in last week's message that talked about insults and, and just being careful about that. But you see, complimenting each other is not a problem. However, when we look upon another human being, or a woman, or a man, and then process that into an illicit sexual activity or mentally processing that image to gratify sexual desire, then we are allowing sin into our lives. That's what the Bible calls it. Jesus uses the word lust because it has a strong link to idolatry and greed. That idea that only if I can have that person um, only if I have this, it will satisfy me. We are replacing the place of God 
for sex or for what we see with someone. Now, let's break it down. Number one, when you see someone and that results into loss and other things in your heart. Number one, we are seeking pleasure and fulfillment from something in place of the fulfillment we have in Christ. That is what the Bible calls idolatry. Amen? Looking at sex as something that can fix us and give us a good life. And there are so many songs in the world today that give that impression. If only I can have that, then I'll be okay. That's idolatry. Number two, when we do that, we are taking something that does not belong to us, which is greed, and we're using it for our own selfish gratification. Number three, we are seeking sexual fulfillment or gratification with someone who is not our covenant marriage partner. And that's what the Bible calls adultery. Now, Jesus makes clear that sexual sin is committed way before the physical interaction. And that's why this scripture is really important. When Ian preached last week, he talked about murder. And sometimes he said, I've never killed anyone. But if you think about it, how many times have you looked at someone and said, oh, oh, I wish they weren't here. Okay? Um, and that can happen. Whilst you might say, I've not committed, I've not physically killed somebody. But that, Jesus was saying, was murder. And similarly today, might say, I've not had sex with that person. But if my heart is full with, filled with that, and I try to gratify my sexual desire, with someone who is not my marriage partner, then the Bible calls that adultery. Does that make sense? Amen. I know um, 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 Charles seems to be the only king person today, but, but, but that's really okay. okay. Exodus chapter 20 verse 17 says, You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Let's crack on now. Another reason why this is important is that sin in our hearts can often be a slippery slope into something that actually causes a lot of pain and a lot of hurt. And Ian used that analogy of how anger can metamorphosize into mother. Hopefully it doesn't get there. But similarly, a lustful look um, can actually um, lead to fantasy and imagination where you begin to think, oh, oh, thinking about that thing, about that person, and it fills the heart. And over time, it becomes emotional attachment. And maybe this is where ladies are more involved. That attachment, long-term attachment to somebody. And then ultimately, that begins to lead into when physical infidelity or having an affair um, and all that. So, let's see one example of a story which I've heard. Okay, there was once a really powerful man um, who finds himself on his rooftop balcony. You have to be extremely rich to get one of those rooftop views. You know what I mean? Um, while he was relaxing in this rooftop um, mansion. He sees a beautiful woman taking a bath. One thing leads to another. He asks his staff 
to check this woman out and find out more about this woman. They get back to him with her identity and they also tell him something very important. She was married to one of his soldiers who actually at that time was fighting in a war far away from home. What did this powerful man do? He sends for her and he sleeps with her even though she is married to one of his men. But the story does not end there. It becomes complicated, often as sexual sin is. This woman becomes pregnant and is obviously pregnant for this powerful man. To cut a long story short, this powerful man ultimately plots to get rid of the woman's husband so he can take her to become his wife. Just in case you did not realize, that is a story from the Bible. In 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1 to 26. And we can see how a lustful look spirals into adultery. Probably within 24 hours. And that's what we need to be conscious of. That that one look caused something which became a pain which actually became something that caused a lot of damage in King David's life. Okay? So, can I suggest that the problem of lust and what fits into it is more than what was in this king's time. Today we've got the internet. Yeah? You know one of those? Laptops, um, computers. We've got TV commercials, which actually use sexuality as a bait. They objectivize sex. And we've got the internet. This feeds and fuels lust and sexual sin. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3 to 5 says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, our sanctification, that we abstain from sexual immorality, that every one of you know how to control his or own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. That scripture is saying because we know God, we don't live like other people who live in lust um, and, and walk in that way. Let's go to this final bit which is dealing with lust. Verse 29 says, If your right eye causes you to stumble, gorge it out and throw it away. It's better to lose one part of your body than the whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Now, this looks like extreme measure, doesn't it? But let's be clear. Jesus is not encouraging us to maim and mutilate our bodies in order to avoid sexual sin. The eye and the hand used in that scripture appear to be really vital parts of the human body that are really important for how we move and how we live our lives. What Jesus is doing is using that importance of these body parts to say, if there's something which is so important to you, but causes and leads you into sexual sin, that thing needs to go. 
is Jesus is saying that we need to take drastic action which could actually lead to getting rid of things that we consider very dear and important to us. We cannot live radically for Jesus or counterculturally if we are not ready to deal with sexual sin. Amen. Now, if you think about it, because we might think sometimes, in general, people feel, oh, God's stopping us from enjoying our lives. Have you heard that? You know? But if you think about it, the same Bible also talks about loving our enemies. It's a radical, different way of life. God's not just trying to stop the phone. God's trying to actually lead us into the fullness of life that he has made for us. Because actually, in the beginning, God created man and woman. He created sex. But he wants it to be something that does not destroy us. Amen? So, he is not asking us to cut off our hands. He is saying we are to ensure that our hands are only used for things that give God glory. It's not asking us to take out our eyes. That would be very difficult. But he's saying, let those eyes be such that it's impossible for you to use them to sin against God. So he's talking about sacrifice. What about our legs? He's not asking us either to cut them off. He's asking us to use all our body for God's glory. Can you turn to the person next to you and say, Use it for God's glory. Notch them again and say, make sure you're using it for God's glory. So the point here is our bodies are, the Bible says our bodies are the temple of God. Okay? And it talks about if we don't do this, we're in the risk of hell. And Ian rightfully described what hell meant. meant a place of separation. A place where we are far from God. I don't want to be far from God. I don't think there's anything in this world that is so good, so important, that will make me leave God. Or make me want to reject God. I don't know about you. I want to be in the place where God wants me to be. Colossians chapter 3 verse 5 says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. It's saying sexual immorality impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, idolatry. If you see the word there, evil desires. Okay, we've talked already about adultery, idolatry, greed. But think about what you even hear in the news where some men have preyed on women and sexual violence and all that is based on lust. People going outside the boundaries of what God created, something which was meant to be beautiful. And that's why as Christians, in our hearts, we want to make sure that we deal with this area of our lives. What more can we do practically? Watch what we see. Can you touch the person again next year and say, watch what you see? Okay? There's no running away from this. You cannot separate the fact that Jesus says, look, and then he relates it to ultimately the potential that that look can lead into sin. So my question is, what filters do you place on your heart to deal with lust? What do you do when you are tempted 
to lust after someone. How and when do we get tempted? We cannot mix that link of sin and sinning. It may require cutting of certain things, sources of temptation, books, TV programs, movies. Many years ago, I was a fan of a certain TV series, which is still on TV and has been for many decades. But I asked myself after a while, because I realized suddenly, this TV program simply glorified sexual immorality. You pick any bloke on this particular TV program, and they are slept with three, four women in that program. And I have to ask myself, I, every, I'm not going to say what day it is now. I, I, I was addicted to this. But at some point, Sister Ogo is laughing, um, but at some point I have to ask myself, was this leading me to purity? Was this TV program growing God's goodness in my heart? The values on that program, was it the values that Christ wanted me to be? And I do not say this in condemnation of anything or anybody. But for me in that moment, I realized that this was not for me. I wanted my life to be a reflection of Christ. And I wanted the things I took part in to reflect that. So what do we need to cut off? You've got to ask yourself, who do you need to cut off? If you have people who actually, in their company, you are led to sexual sin, is it time to call it quits? Amen. Amen. We're wrapping up now. 1 Corinthians 6.18 says, Please. Flee. It doesn't say, Consider. It doesn't say, um, be wise. You know, there's no wisdom. It says what? Flee. Flee, in my language, means run. Okay? Go away from that place. Don't consider it. It says, flee sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. If you're listening to me today, and maybe this is not a problem for you, then great. I encourage you to continue to live for Jesus because that's what God wants us to do, to live a life of purity. And you know when Joe talked about righteousness being a foundation, um, it doesn't mean we stay there. It means Jesus is the foundation, but we have to grow in God's grace in our lives. And what that means is taking everything that God has given to us. The Holy Spirit, the Word of God, the fellowship of Christians. Amen? And that's why if you isolate yourself, you're in a dangerous place. Um, the counsel within ourselves as Christians, all these things prepare us and make us grow in God's grace. Amen? And you may be right here, right now. And you know the Holy Spirit is actually speaking to you about sexual sin. You may already have a picture in your mind. And you know that this is a serious issue in your life right now. There's a reason why we're sharing this this morning. God wants you to repent. He wants us to repent. 
And I pray that the conviction that comes from the Holy Spirit is real in this moment. Because that's one thing I prayed for. I wanted this not just to be a message. I wanted God to do something on our hearts that brings us to a place to say, No, I'm not doing that anymore. Because God has called me to much more. Amen. And I'm praying that that will be your story today. And I'm asking that we simply turn away from that sin and decide to follow Jesus. You see, the Bible says where sin abounds, God's grace does what? Abounds more. So you might turn and say to me, Jonah, you don't really understand my case. The people around me are terrible. They only talk about nasty things. But the Bible says, even in that place, that God's grace does what? Abounds. God's transforming power can bring a change if we yield to him in this area, in repentance. You see, sexual sin often thrives in secrecy, but repentance and seeking counsel, maybe from a trusted person, can make a difference. Amen. God's transforming power is available to break the circle of sexual sin in our lives. Trusting him today can mean taking a bold step to talk to someone. We know we can live for Jesus. We know that that is what he wants from us. And we know we have the power of the Holy Spirit available to us. Finally, if you hear me today and you're saying to me, Jonah, I'm still reeling from the pain and shame of past sexual sin. Let me remind you that God loves you. God's love is abounding. God's love is unstoppable. There's nothing you've done in this world that cuts you away from God's goodness. And I encourage you this morning. You are the righteousness of God. You are the righteousness of God. You are the righteousness of God. Do not allow that sin to stop you. Step up today and come into the grace and goodness of God. Because God's love knows no bounds. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, Father. Thank you because you called us for a purpose and you have brought us into your light. And we know, we're grateful that there's nothing we could have done or there's nothing we have done that's outside your forgiveness. This morning, as we come to you as a church, we ask, Lord, where there is sexual sin, sexual immorality in our lives, we repent today. We confess and we say, we want you. We want your light. Shine your light in dark places. Shine your light in the places that have stopped us from entering into the fullness of what you have for us. We pray today, O oh God, that you help us to grow in purity. We ask that the Holy Spirit will be mighty in our lives to empower us to live for Jesus and to stand for you and for what you've called us to be. Thank you, Father. Amen.